welcome back to Real Perspective, the podcast based on a YouTube channel, based on a podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm Michael Morey. And I'm Misty Lonsinger. And this week we're joined by uh, a return guest, um, a guest who joins us for video game movies, or at the very least movies loosely based on video game intellectual properties. Uh, Sebastian Boje is here. Did I get your last name right again? Nailed it, MJ. Nailed yes. It. Nice. Yes. Welcome back, Sebastian. Good to be back. Um, yeah, so we're here to talk about another video game movie, um, Sonic the Hedgehog, which is a movie that stars Ben Schwartz as uh, the titular Blue Hedgehog, and also Jim Carrey as Dr. Uh, Robotnik, and Cyclops from... Uh, <laughs> and John James Marston. Mar- John Marston, Marston is there, too. That's not his name. <laughs> that guy from Red Dead Redemption. Yep. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so I have seen this movie less recently than uh, my co-hosts and guests. So I'm actually going to le- let Mike take the lead on this one. So, Mike, uh, take it away. Sure. So this movie, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, is based off of the video game franchise that is now known for being basically a bunch of memes. Um, it was in development hell in Hollywood for the last decade or so. It's just shifted hands from MGM to Paramount, but eventually it went to Paramount. And uh, last year we had a little bit of a controversy with this movie. (laughs) They released the trailer for it and people were not happy about something. And that something was Sonic's design. And it was fairly horrifying. So the initial release date (laughs) went from uh, November of last year to February of this year uh, while they went and redesigned uh, the Sonic character and they redid the CG. And um, basically it's now been out for a couple months. Um, the reviews for it and the reception to it was, I have to say kind of fairly positive seeming, especially to the ch- design change. And uh, the plot, if we just want to go over it briefly is like one of the, another one of those uh, animated movies where the animated character gets introduced to our world and um, <laughs> Sonic gets transported over here. It's a fish out of the water story. He needs to get somewhere to get the thing. Um, Jim Carrey plays Dr. Robotnik. Um, he's chasing after Sonic after Sonic kind of causes an EMP to go off. Uh, wacky kids movie hijinks ensue because this movie really does feel squarely aimed for and at kids mm-hmm. um he sonic goes and be, befriends james marsden's character who's a cop um in the city of green hill montana i want to say sure uh, so. and which is a nod to the games a little bit i mean you know, the cop part especially um oh. <laughs> not uh, anyway they go on a road trip um they go encounter people in bars they get chased by robotnik and then it leads to them going on a little world hopping adventure at the end um where sonic decides that he wants to stay on earth rather than go back to his home planet and robotnik gets stranded out into space or something uh it's kind of generic i would say but let's go and start off with um our guests sebastian what did you think of the movie you know, I surprisingly liked it, and despite being pretty familiar with Sonic, I would never really consider myself a Sonic fan, which was actually a lot for me to say that I did like the movie. I thought it was kind of like a E.T. meets Tommy Boy kind of a mix, where you have a a goofy road trip with, you know, Sonic is in the Chris Farley role, and then you kind of have that same E.T. level of, you know, you have to be secretive, not everyone knows that they're a real person, so, you, you know, you dress them up and hijinks ensue kind of a deal. But I thought it got a lot of stuff right for a video game movie, uh, particularly when, like, the early iterations of Sonic didn't give him any personality. It's something that's kind of evolved from the cartoons and further reboots that flowed from it. So, yeah, I, I was I was into it. Missy, what do you think? Uh, I did not love it. Um... I I mean, I like Sonic. Uh, I'm not as big of a Sonic fan. I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Um, Mm -hmm. I I was more of a Pokemon person growing up uh, than I was Sonic. 
I do remember playing it and I liked it. Um, but I, I definitely wasn't as invested as I know some other people who I've heard who, who really liked it a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it felt a little confused to me. Like it, there were times when it definitely felt like a kid's movie. Um, but there were also times where it's like, I don't feel like it hit that sweet spot that I think like Pixar gets well, really well, or that even like the Shrek movies got really well, where it's like, I know that this is a kid's movie, but I also recognize that adults are taking their kids to see this slash like Sonic was definitely a game that millennials grew up playing and we're all now adults. So it's like, we have to kind of, you know, stick our fingers in a few different pots to try to make everybody happy. And I don't feel like they totally got that. So like, it felt at times like, oh, this is like blatantly a kid's joke. And then some of the other stuff, it was a little like muddled for me. Like it didn't know quite if it was going to be like Buddy Cop or Fish Out of Water or strictly a kid's movie or strictly a comic book movie. and so Or not comic book, but a video game movie. And so it, it felt a little like all over the place. So it, because it wasn't fully committed, I didn't love it. Like I thought Jim Carrey was good. Um, ben Schwartz didn't do bad. And James Marsden was just there. You know, another <laughs> animated movie where he's got a little animated partner or whatever. But yeah, well, it wasn't my favorite, but it's also not the worst thing that we've talked about on this podcast because we have seen cats. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's what right. I have to say. <laughs> so um, MJ, I think probably among the four of us, you were the, the biggest Sonic fan, would you say? I mean, at least of the original yeah. games. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm a Sonic fan from way back. My very first system was a Sega Genesis. Like that was my, nice. Sonic, Sonic was my, basically my introduction to video gaming. So, right. um, I was gifted a Sega Genesis uh, as a child, and along with that, I was gifted a game called Six Pack. Um, and Six Pack. I'm intrigued. It was so it was six games on one cartridge, and it was kind of like uh, a it was kind of like a, a Sega Genesis Greatest Hits compilation. Oh. Um, but it had uh, I can tell you right now, it had Golden Axe, Columns. Super Hang On, which was a motorcycle racing game that I never played. <laughs> Streets of Rage, Revenge, oh, of Sh- Revenge of Shinobi, and Sonic the Hedgehog 1. Nice. All on one cartridge. Oh. And that can probably be traced to most of my love for any video game. Uh, because I played the crap out of Golden Axe, Streets of Rage, Revenge of Shinobi, and Sonic the Hedgehog. Nice. Um, and then I was super into the other games. I don't love two as much uh but three and knuckles are really great games i think um Mm -hmm. i think they really especially if you look at like kind of the timeline of the sega genesis you can really see how sonic team and sega pushed the boundaries of that machine by the end of its uh you know by the end of its life cycle Mm -hmm. um but yeah i have a big soft spot for sonic i kind of stopped playing once they got bad um (laughs) you know like they like i remember playing and enjoying sonic adventure 2 but i also don't remember anything about it and so it seems like that might have been kind of bad and i'm willing to concede that um (laughs) but yeah i i liked sonic mania a lot i thought that was a really good um addition to the franchise so i've always had like a big soft spot for sonic but i also am not one of those people who's going to go out of my way to uh defend its honor against stuff like sonic 08 uh, (laughs) or 06 yeah 06 sonic 06 uh where he kisses a human woman yeah and uh, to to be fair he's dead and a human woman kisses him to bring him back to life and also she's a princess right feminism Mm -hmm. um yeah funny like that wasn't even the most ridiculous part of sonic (laughs) games in that same era yeah like there was a Sonic the Hedgehog game that followed in 08 where he's a, a werehog, which is yes. really cool. And then they followed that up with Sonic and the Black Knight, where this is literally the plot. Merlin's granddaughter, Merlina, like summons <laughs> Sonic to go defeat the Dark Knight. And the Dark Knight turns out to be King Arthur, who was corrupted by Excalibur's immortality. Like it it's just completely <laughs> off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> and um, actually that's not the most ridiculous one either because there was shadow the hedgehog and shadow had a gun in it yeah <laughs> shadow can just be summed up with give sonic a gun and make him yep. dark and emo <laughs> also doesn't son doesn't shadow kill cops in one of the sonic adventure games uh he beats them up i think okay. yeah, his introduction <laughs> is against like a police force and they constantly fight each other yeah, yeah. Oh. um yep yeah. 
uh, which is weird because like Sonic's already kind of known for being a little like rebellious and like having a lot of nineties dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just weird to be like, okay, but what if he was straight up evil? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, shadows, shadows weird. Uh, but yeah, I have always really enjoyed the Sonic games, or the good ones at least. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm an apologist, and and also like I said, it's it's it was an introduction to video gaming for me. So, you know, as a kid, a Sonic the Hedgehog movie would have been my dream. Uh, then I saw what he looked like, <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, no one asked for this. Yeah. Um, and then weirdly, the Cats trailer came out, and I was like, no, that Sonic's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Leave the human teeth. <laughs> yeah, it was it would have been fine compared to cats. But, God, you know, it, it was funny when, you know, when all this was going on, there was the preliminary leaks of kind of what the character model looked like. And it looked like a dumpster fire <laughs> from that. And, you know, watching the, the first trailer with the original design, it was like, oh, this is going to be horrifying. And then they finally announced, like, OK, we're going to re we're going to redo it and all this stuff. And I was like. Uh, that kind of takes some of the ironic fun out of it. So mm-hmm. like I kind of that kind of like rejiggered my expectations where I was like, it's probably going to be just like kind of a fine kids movie. And that that's it at mm-hmm. this point. Um, and I was right. I liked it uh, mm-hmm. quite a bit. Actually, I liked it a good deal more than I expected. Maybe uh, is a way to way to put that maybe a better way to put that. But I thought I thought there was. I think one thing is that kids entertainment is kind of in dire straits right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think you could do a lot worse than Sonic the Hedgehog as, uh, as, as as a parent wanting to be entertained by these things too. Um, It's not minions. uh, (laughs) And I felt like they, they did kind of throw in some of the, you know, like Sonic flosses twice, but I thought that stuff was kept pretty minimal compared to, how you would expect a Sonic the Hedgehog movie to be, especially compared to sort of the mimetic nature that he's taken on in the last decade and a half or mm-hmm. so. Um, like it wasn't all just like fart jokes and flossing, which is kind of what I thought. And like the, the needle drops in it were kind of felt thoughtful. Like it, it felt like they, they didn't just choose like whatever top 40 pop song there's like a lot of like 70s funk and soul in it um like gangster's paradise from the original trailer (laughs) sure uh but even that is kind of like i mean it's a little bit of a meme but it's also like kids aren't really gonna be like oh yeah gangster's paradise you know like it's not something that's on the radio that they're listening to right now um so i i I thought jim carrey was kind of fantastic in it i thought he was really good yeah and we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later i think um yeah that kind of deserves maybe its own section yeah but i sure. i remember liking it i thought it had and i thought it had kind of a good heart um in in some par- parts but yeah i thought it was i was pretty good so my take on it was uh, having i think probably seen it the most recently as in like two minutes before this podcast started <laughs> um i I uh, had expectations of it being bad when the trailer first came out for obvious mm-hmm. reasons, like most people. Then when I found out they were going to do the redesign, I expected it to um, not uh, be great, but be better than what we were going to think it was. Um, based off of what people said when the movie came out, uh, then people started saying, oh, this is actually kind of the best video game movie ever made, which is a fairly low bar for most um, video game <laughs> right. movies. But um, I'm somebody who doesn't have a lot of nostalgia for Sonic. I was somebody who grew up with a Nintendo um, mm-hmm. for most of my life. Um, I had a cousin who had a Sega, so I, I saw him play that. Um, I had a Game Gear, so I did play some Sonic games through that. Um, they were fine. I didn't like love them or anything. Um, mm-hmm. My introduction more to him was through cartoons, like the animated shows that they had going on back in the 90s. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of where I was a little more fond of him than the games themselves. Uh, So kind of coming to this movie, I had higher expectations of it based off what people were saying it like, Hey, you know what? This movie is actually pretty good that by the time I watched it, I um, feel like I'm a little bit closer to Missy. It it was fine. Like it wasn't bad. Um, (laughs) Certainly 
Yeah. It, it wasn't um, a dumpster fire like we all probably thought after we saw the first trailer. Sure. Um, I mean, the redesign helps probably the impression of it because I imagine if he looked horrible, I would have felt <laughs> even worse about it. Um, so that was a good call there. Uh, and we'll talk probably a little bit more about just the redesign implications of how bowing the fan, fan pressure, what that mm. means for the industry. Um, but I I thought it was an okay, fairly generic paint by the numbers uh, kids movie. It did have a little bit of a heart, which I appreciated. Uh, it actually did manage to hit me in the feels once or twice, but maybe that's because I'm just getting like really sentimental or something. Um, <laughs> but it, it, I, mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just because like you go instead of building blocks and no matter what kind of movie it is, if you hit those building blocks, I'll probably like be like, okay, they're friends now. I feel bad <laughs> or, yeah. or something. Um, but overall it, it definitely could have been worse than it was. Sure. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it was a triumph either. I feel like a kind of referring back to our detective Pikachu conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I end up liking detective Pikachu more. I felt like that hit yeah. or the, the kind of notes that I would like to see in these video game adaptations. Um, yeah. But we can get into that a little bit more. Uh, Sebastian, what about this movie worked for you? So one of the, the biggest things I think they got right was like just Sonic's personality itself. So like, I think a lot of the thing that people are talking about, about this being kind of a triumph for video games, movies has to do with that character adaptation mm-hmm. because I mean, look at the video game movies we've got where you've had a character that's had a pretty fleshed out backstory um, or at least like their motives are pretty clear and well known. So like Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Resident Evil, Hitman, mm-hmm. a lot of those just fell so flat in making them likable as a movie character. I think one of the only ones that got it right, which was also one of the highest grossing, was Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. And then, but Sonic was also in a unique position in that like he didn't really have a backstory till later. So this wasn't just kind of like Super Mario Bros, where you're dealing with this really nebulous backstory. Like Sonic does have a lot of pieces to it. And I think in talking about what they did right, you're really talking about what they omitted. We didn't get a massive backstory. Mm. Um, I, given I don't really like the long claw owl mom segment of it. Yeah. And I think the, the best I can say for it is that they kept it short, but this wasn't some like in-depth, you know, reminiscing about my mom kind of a thing that Tomb Raider kind of did about its uh, Lara Croft's dad mm-hmm. or like going into each character's motivations to make them seem like, you know, what they're doing is meaningful. It really was just, you know, show what this guy does, show his cool little layer and then put him in this, you know, goofy buddy situation and let him just kind of experience the world through Sonic eyes. And you can kind of like the character from that. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for me is that they just made him likable because yeah. Sonic is annoying, really. He's quick, he's <laughs> fast, he says cheeky stuff in the cartoons a lot. And in this movie, he was borderline annoying sometimes, but in an endearing way. And I think Ben Schwartz really nailed that with the Parks and Rec, John Ralphio background. Like, that's exactly what you want, I think, or at least how I think of my Sonic. So for me, that's really what nailed it. Um, MJ, let me ask you with regards to like other video game movies. Are there any ones that you like or or think that uh, like adapt things well versus things that don't get adapted well? Bouncing mm. off what Sebastian's saying. Yeah, um, I think I, I really like Detective Pikachu. Um, mm. I think as far as straight video game adaptations. There aren't very many good ones, which is not, you know, that's kind of the consensus. Right. I have a soft spot for Mortal Kombat because it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but it's like, it's very entertaining, but it's not very good. Yeah. Um, also, the Goro puppet is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in a movie. Um, <laughs> so uh, Tomb Raider, I have a soft spot for because it's the first movie I saw by myself in a theater. Okay. Um, but wow. I don't remember anything about it. Uh but I think that the, the best video game movies, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, I'm sure, are movies that use kind of the grammar of video games rather than the actual straight IP adaptations. So like Scott Pilgrim and the first Jumanji or the mm-hmm. second Jumanji, mm-hmm. technically, with The Rock. Um, mm-hmm. The first one with The Rock, the second one in the franchise. Um, I thought those did a really good job of like 
using the stuff that happens in video games to tell a movie story. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's a single video game movie that has gotten it right. Um, As far as using the grammar of its, uh, of its source material to tell its story. Um, But I do think that overall, I think detective Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog have been the best at, ditching the grammar of the video game and then adapting it into a story that I could get behind. Um, okay. I like cool. Detective Pikachu mm. probably quite a bit more than Sonic, um, mm-hmm. but I think they're both pretty good. So w- what about Sonic then um, appealed to you in this adaptation? Um, one, I felt like, yes, it's a standard, it's kind of a bog standard fish out of water story and maybe i like that a lot is i think what i'm realizing because i'm trying to think Hmm. of like like i really like the first thor movie um and that's a movie that like grows on me with age the older i get the more Mm -hmm. i like it Mm -hmm. um i really like bumblebee yep i actually Um, really like that movie too i'll go to bat for that yeah and uh i i liked this and so those are those are the things and then what sebastian was saying Sonic as a character is kind of good in this movie, which is not something you expect. Like, I mean, the meme of him is 90s tood embodiment. And like that hasn't aged very well because it's not the 90s and nothing is spelled <laughs> with extreme with an X at the <laughs> beginning, anymore, you know. And <laughs> so I thought that Ben Schwartz did like a really good job of making Sonic like conveying the kind of loneliness that Sonic has and his annoyance or his his annoying tendencies come more from like he's finally getting the life that he sees everyone else living and Mm -hmm. like he wants to you know experience it to its fullest because he doesn't know if it's going to be taken away from him or not and so i think that ben schwartz did a really good job in dear like uh imbuing sonic with that uh characterization like i think that that comes across very clearly in how he portrays the character um and then uh, robotnik was great um i don't know if you want to save mm-hmm. that talk for a, a separate yeah um, just well, uh, a jim carrey retrospective well mm-hmm. um yeah uh, missy unless you have anything more to add to that we could tackle the jim carrey stuff um no not really like i'm hearing you guys talk about it like i i get a little more why you guys liked it i guess uh i think i, I was maybe a little unfair i think i'm still it's pretty much like a solid C, C minus for me. Um, But I mean, yeah, if we're talking about things that I enjoy, Jim Carrey is probably the biggest. So that might be a good segue into it if we want to talk about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, So MJ, we can just start with you then since you were the one who kind of have been bringing it up. Obviously this movie goes and brings back Jim Carrey kind of back to his 90s era prominence, kind of his mannerisms that uh, people grew to like in uh, Ace Ventura and his other movies, Liar, Liar. What about this movie kind of harkens back to that? What did you like about that? Was there any problems with that? Uh, I, to be perfectly honest, I didn't really have a single problem with any choice he made in this movie. Yeah. At all. Um, well, thinking back on it, like I said, I've seen it less recently than you guys have. Um, but, you know, I think Jim Carrey's had such a weird career and I get it, man. Like I watched the movie of, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, I have his IMDb up right here. Dead Air. This is good. Um, is it the Andy Kaufman documentary? Yes, that. Dude, uh, that, yeah, he looked batshit crazy. Like, I'm not going to lie. I was like, yeah. mm, he's got some issues. <laughs> yeah. And ever since that movie, it's kind of been, you know, the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, Jim Carrey went through something. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, watching that movie... It really, like, it was still kind of two hours of watching Jim Carrey just be a complete prick to everyone he was filming that movie with, which sucked. Mm -hmm. Um, But also watching that movie, it really made me understand that, like, he got ridiculously famous super fast. Sure. Um, Freaking, the thing that I still, I think about this a lot when Jim Carrey comes up, is in that movie I learned, and I guess I'd never realized this, Ace Ventura, the first one, Dumb and Dumber, and The Mask all came out in 1994. No, they didn't. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty big string of hits right there, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Like, wow. I, I was thinking about that, and I was just like, 
I feel like that's the most successful year a single actor has had at the box office ever. Yeah. And like the most <laughs> prolific. I know The Mask was in the can for a couple years, but man, um, every one of those movies was a massive hit. Like, yeah. they like they impacted the culture of the 90s so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that Jim Carrey, I think what we know about him now is that he's kind of a sensitive guy. Mm-hmm. And he was just immediately like the most recognizable American or right. Canadian. Mm. Um, and that's got to get in your head because now the expectation is on you to deliver that every time. Like when you come out of the gate with a 1994, mm-hmm. the way Jim Carrey did now, everything you follow it up with has to be that. Mm. Right. And that's just an insane amount of pressure to put on anyone in any walk of life or career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it really got to him. And I think that's what you see in the, it, it is culminating at the, cause it's the tail end of the nineties, right? Like, yeah. Uh, Jim Carrey is, 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 he's kind of on his way out. Like he was nominated for an Oscar for, uh, uh, man on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like you can kind of see how he, re- how, like, cause he says he was like possessed by the spirit of Andy Kaufman or whatever. I can right. see how you, like, if you have like some mental health struggles already, and then you go into this character who's kind of an intense guy, mm-hmm. um, you know, I feel like he could feel very, he could feel very like kindred spirits with him. Mm-hmm. Um, just because like Coffin like played Carnegie Hall and like he was also really kind of a quiet, meek guy that got super famous um, from being funny. And mm-hmm. no one else, like there was no one else that Jim Carrey could relate to. It's one of those like it's lonely at the top type of situations, right? Like, yeah. Um, and so I think as a result, he kind of backed away from the spotlight. And then he started taking roles almost more for paychecks, um, it seemed like. And it, it just seemed like he was looking to have, like, pressure relieved off of himself in some way, shape, or form. And that documentary really kind of put it in place for me. That being said, I was a kid in 1994. I was a kid in 1997. Like, I, it, those movies defined my childhood like it did for a lot of people, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's still always like a part of you, like, you know, he's still got it, you know, like, you know, you, you know, he's got it. You don't just lose that talent that he had. Mm -hmm. And doesn't just disappear. And so I think there's, there's this inherent desire to see him succeed for, I think I would say most millennials. Sure. Mm -hmm. And to see him just like be, I don't know if he was directed in a way or if he like, you know, uh just got into this character and had a lot of fun with it or what but to see him kind of on like that in a way we haven't seen him in a long time was really like fun and satisfying to me yeah and um to just kind of see himself like let loose and look like he was actually kind of having fun with it and like not really feeling it seemed like something had changed like he wasn't feeling the pressure to have to deliver on the promise of Ace Ventura or Lloyd Christmas. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he talked and, about it a bit though. Um, not to interrupt, but in, in his Graham Norton interview, cause we, you know, we all as kids knew him for the most part in those massive hits, mm-hmm. but we forget that his baseline was improv and in living color. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As so many Canadians are been so good at doing for anyone who's ever watched whose line is it anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he, he said it's something in his Graham Norton interview that I kept and, and held on to for this specific uh, podcast when he said that he didn't know if that there was a word from the script that actually made it into the movie. Awesome. Um, and I, I think that to, to point that out on, on your side, MJ, I think he really was returning to that improv side mm-hmm. and the directive or director Fowler said that uh, he was completely interested in every single detail of the Robotnik character, like, from the sunglasses to the gloves and everything to, to making that character. And I think he just riffed on it. You know, he, he talked about that scene where he's alone in his semi truck and there's the, hmm. you know, dinosaur chasing him and he's dancing and stuff like that. So good. Yeah. So that scene that he did, he said was entirely him just being put in the room and them playing the backing track or, and the song that was going to play and just saying, go. Hmm. You know, there, there wasn't lines. There wasn't set stuff set up for that. That was just him. Yeah. And I think that really was an amazing return to form for him from like really old school ro- roots of just yeah. straight up improv. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and, and Sebastian, what's your take on Jim Carrey as an actor? Do you have nostalgia for his 90s stuff? Where are you coming from with regards to him? Absolutely. I watched Ace Ventura easily 120-something times <laughs> growing up. I loved that. And then I, as I you know, got older or whatever, and I, I rewatched some of those, there are parts that really just don't hold up anymore. Yeah, Mask, I think, was one of the bigger ones where it kind of stands out to me where yeah. it just kind of gets a little too out there, a little too self-indulgent, mm-hmm. but I didn't see that in this film. I, I know that it, it was him putting his own brand on it, but it didn't strike me to the same degree that I rewatched some of his older stuff and cringe. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall too, I think the guy's got crazy depth. The Truman show was one of the so, greatest yeah. Oh, yeah. films I've seen for quite a while. Absolutely. Definitely yeah. in my top 25, but mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, I think that he has uh, an incredible ability to be a dramatic actor. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. he never really got recognized for it, for the right films. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I think Truman Show, and nowadays, I think it's considered to be one of his better roles. Yeah. But he never got that Oscar nomination for that, um, mm-hmm. that I think that maybe he deserved. Um, and you saw him in the early 2000s, I think, try to do some more dramatic stuff. And yeah generally not get uh, the claim that maybe he he wanted himself. And I think that's kind of also led to his seclusion. And there's a lot of reasons why he ended up the way he did. Um, sure. yeah. But uh, Missy, what did you take uh, on, or what did you think about his role um, as Robotnik in this? Um, I, so I didn't know uh, what Sebastian had brought up about the Graham Norton interview, but that makes total sense because I remember watching it um and and i watched it with jordan and we were both like it feels like he's just been given full reins which mm-hmm. i mean he should because he he is an incredibly talented comedic actor um and yeah like uh, not that it seemed um so off the cuff that it was just like unplanned and helter skelter but it, it seemed very like jim Carrey because he's a smart mm-hmm. improviser and in mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that he does um there's thought to it but it's it still seems like oh that's so funny and that's like kind of erratic and yeah, it, it was definitely a huge callback to that. Like you guys have been saying, just to reiterate it, that that '90s Jim Carrey um, spontaneity uh, and craziness, but but kind of like a controlled craziness for some of it. Like not quite the mask where he's like completely ridiculous, um, right. or, or like Lloyd Christmas where he's just stupid, or even Ace Ventura. I don't know. It was I felt like it, it was like a nice mix of of Jim Carrey. It was a lot of that '90s comedy, but with a little bit of um, what am I trying? A little more restraint on it. Uh, because I mean, probably the thing that I like most about this Sonic movie is that it wasn't a Sonic movie. It was the Dr. Robotnik origin story movie. Yeah. Um, and, and that's cool. Cause like, I, I thought he did a really good job. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm of a, a couple different minds kind of with some of the stuff MJ was saying with watching that documentary and being like, man, he's kind of batshit crazy, but then also thinking about people like Robin Williams and how mm-hmm. truly difficult it must be to be such a talented um, comedic actor in the spotlight because like literally like I, all you're expected to do is make people laugh. And if you're not, then it's like, why are, why are you not doing your job? And that must suck. Like, I can't even imagine that. So, I mean, I don't know if him kind of taking his, his uh, few years of, of slower, more dramatic roles, even if they weren't as recognized, could give us something fun like this. It looked like he was having fun. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm yeah. kind of grateful for it. It looked like this this was a nice progression from him being super crazy to more dramatic to like a little bit of a rain on it. But it looked like he could finally have fun. So I, I really enjoyed that. I, I liked watching him a lot. He's such a such a good physical performer, man. Like yes. the way and just like not even when he's doing the physical comedy stuff, although he's incredible at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like the way he can take up the space is yeah. so good it's not like it, it, it is over the top but it's not, especially in this like it doesn't feel super showy it feels like the right decision for the character mm-hmm. and it's not like commanding necessarily but he's just captivating like no, how he moves his body is so like interesting to watch and and just you want to see what he's going to do next Mm-hmm. yeah so he reminds me of um in like my acting classes if we did movement classes there's a thing called like lob on movement and it's the idea that there are specific movements to match like specific character traits which mm-hmm. makes sense except for a lot of american acting is done in the face because a lot of it's done on film and television and we get close-ups and we have all this and he like he looks like an improv theater actor where it's like like you were saying even the subtlest movements of his if they're so sharp or if they're like doing this and that and the other 
it's like you can tell like the character trait he's trying to portray with it so he's has a fantastic like reign over his body i completely agree with you on that so i actually might have a little bit of a disagreement uh, with you guys i oh. <laughs> i liked seeing him back in action in this kind of role however i'm not sure if maybe it's my my own knowledge of what's gone on behind the scenes with him uh that's affecting the way i perceive him in this movie but there's kind of like a a sadness or desperation that i kind of felt to his Hmm. acting in this Hmm. um and uh, i kind of liken it to so patrick stewart came back to the role of picard okay right this picard spinoff that happened Mm -hmm. um earlier this year and he had not really been in that role for a good 15 years because that's when the movies ended and a really good 20 years since the tv show had ended and in that amount of time you just kind of felt this oldness to him and i get it i mean he's 80 something or whatever right Mm -hmm. uh there's like a a creakiness and a a difficulty in assuming that character that i felt throughout that entire series like it did not fit like a glove for him anymore yeah it it felt very unnatural and it didn't feel like it fit with my conception of who he was and i get it like people grow old and they change and and all that I felt like that was kind of similar here. I mean, granted, this isn't a role that Jim Carrey has played before in the name of the character, but it's mm-hmm. a role that he's played before in the type of manic, crazy character that he's played before. And it, it felt like kind of like an old man trying to be young again, in a way. Hmm. There's there's a little bit of like desperation I felt. It's almost like I felt bad, uh, but it just it didn't quite work for me as well as I was hoping it was going to. Were you, are you a Jim Carrey guy? Uh, I mean, I like a lot of his nineties stuff. Um, right. I, I like the Truman show and I like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. A I lot. That movie. Um, <gasps> what? Yeah. Add it, add it to the list. MJ of other yeah. movies. They're all good that you don't yeah. like. Um, Damn it. So I, I, I like him. Um, and I would, I, I wish that kind of like how, James Cameron, we've lost now for about mm-hmm. two decades to just crap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, <laughs> a really talented dude just wasted on crap. I feel the same way about Jim Carrey. Is we've missed out on a good like hidden decade and a half of good Jim Carrey stuff. Hmm. And that's saddening to me. But then I see him in this, and it didn't quite work for me. So I'm, I've been trying to figure out what I think is wrong with it. Okay. Yeah, because I think the last thing he was in that was like – people were interested in was kick-ass too and he's like pretty good in that movie but he's not in it enough Mm -hmm. and like he's barely in it and i was that was the thing i was looking forward most to that movie also that movie's very bad especially compared to how much i kind of like the first one Mm -hmm. um but yeah it 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 has been a while and i know he suffered some personal tragedy um some pretty big ones um in the in the years since as well um that i'm not sure he's ever quite gotten over um and so yeah i do think we've missed out on a lot but i i don't know man like i didn't i didn't get that at all from this like it seemed like he was having the time of his life for the first time in a long time to me Mm. i guess uh sebastian did you feel that at all or am i the only one No, man, I I actually thought he was having a good time with it. Not to just yeah. be like, you're so wrong, Mike. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, that does happen regularly. On part of his, I, I get what you're saying because I have yeah. watched roles since. And or even like, you know, when he's just being himself and like his comedians and cars getting coffee episode. Yeah. And, it, I, and I hear exactly what you're saying, that there's mm-hmm. this forced piece to it and, and what he's doing. And it's not coming off very well. It's coming life, like off of the... Uh, really dated portions of his nineties comedy. But in this instance, I felt more of a universality to it, a little bit more of a connection to it. Mm-hmm. And maybe because it's, I'm relating this to a lot of nineties movies and it is a, you know, nineties video game character. So maybe I got the nostalgia glasses on, but mm. I, I was with it. I, I loved what he did with it. And I, I liked him playing with it and having fun. Cause I think that's just what this movie kind of did. It didn't take itself too seriously. It would throw in, you know, all the goofy Sonic references and fan service, but kind of tastefully, or at least I felt it was a little bit tastefully done. Yeah. And, well, and maybe kind of jumping off that a little bit. Um, we've talked about how the plot of this thing, it 
That's a little a bit of a, a well-worn subject. Um, it seems like as far back as I can remember when it comes to like these adaptations of kids properties or cartoons or video games, Hollywood loves cramming it into this, um, this template, the fish out of water template where it's like this character is part of like the video game world or the comic book world or whatever. And now they're in our world kind of set up mm-hmm. um it, i can see the merits behind that i was just wondering uh, for you guys do you do you think that there's merit behind this concept of doing the fish out of water this cg character interacts with he, live human people or would you prefer to have seen something i mean i know we had the history of sonic games maybe to the contrary that was more uh just it all takes place in a cg movie world not like earth what do you think about uh where they went with it versus where they could have gone with it and it's kind of just whoever wants to answer i have an answer so i'm gonna bring up bumblebee again sure because bumblebee starts off completely in that world Mm -hmm. and it's so friggin' rad it's so cool um (laughs) seeing just like cybertron but like you can understand what's going on and also like they just look like the autobots when they're on cybertron like they did in the cartoon like it was so neat and to see like kind of where bumblebee had left off because bumblebee then breaks from that after that one initial scene i don't know if i was just writing the goodwill of that initial scene where i was like this is the transformers movie i've wanted since i was a kid oh yeah absolutely Uh, and it just it was enough like I had been so starved for that after 700 Michael Bay movies that <laughs> I just rode that into the rest of the movie, but I didn't think so. I thought there was legitimately good action sequences throughout. I thought, you know, the human characters bond with Bumblebee was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it, you know, I think I was very excited about the promise of a sequel of him returning to Cybertron. Um, to kind of see how like that war played out back on Cybertron. Yeah. Uh, so I think that did, I think that, what am I trying to say? I think that showed real promise in the fact that audiences are willing to buy into an all CGI version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that illumination studios has the rights to do a Mario movie. Right. Um, and Illumination Studios is strictly an animation house, so they're going to do. And I know there's been the failed Mario Brothers movie again, so I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure Nintendo, it was so good. <laughs> um, I'm sure Nintendo had like definitely was like it's got to be a cartoon this time. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, so, you know, but yeah, it, it's weird because thinking about Sonic coming to Earth and. It, it it doesn't feel unnatural to me to think about that, but then like trying to fit Mario into that would be weird. Like it was like the oh, whole new yeah. Don- new Donk City thing, right? In, in in Super Mario Odyssey, where it's like, wait a minute, if those are real people, what is Mario? And then also a plumber. Are also are these people giant or is Mario yeah. small? And so you know, the, a tiny it, plumber. Yeah, it just raises like way more questions if they're more of like a humanoid character, I think. Right. Um, but I, you know, I think the weird thing is that the argument that the studio gives is like if there's not a humanoid character, the audience is going to have anyone to connect to, which is stupid because there's animated movies. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Cars, you know, like I, whether you like that movie or not, that movie made enough money to make three of them. Like yeah. some some people connected with that movie. Well, and, and it's funny you bring up the Mario Brothers movie uh, because that was the the opposite scenario where it was like the main characters are the ones who go to the other world or whatever. And mm-hmm. and then they're the fish out of water um, in this different world instead. Mm-hmm. And then they learn its rules through that. Uh, it, to me, I think it kind of demonstrates like, like a lack of confidence in the audience. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very yeah. dated 100%. way, like a very dated producer's view of this who has yeah. no uh, kind of attachment to the material where they're like, well, but how are the audiences going to connect unless like the bad guy threatens earth or, you mm-hmm. know, wh- whatever, like uh, for example, there's some of the games out there where uh, 
like they'll, they'll have the galaxy be at stake, but the final battle takes place on Earth because otherwise right. you won't care. You won't care what happens about the galaxy unless like the final battle happens on Earth because you grew up on Earth, so therefore you care about it. It's like mm-hmm. this weird transitive property like way of thinking about like how your emotions uh, go and can get transferred from one thing to another. And so it feels like to me it's kind of the same basis for this. It, like they don't trust people to want to see like a crazy rag- wacky world. Uh, so they go and do it take place on earth. Cause that way it's relatable then. Oh, you got the humans that I relate to, but you, kind of what you were saying, MJ, I don't think that like you need to have that. The people who go and connect to Pixar movies, which are all CG, you mm-hmm. know, like a, a toy story movie doesn't have a single human ish protagonist in it. They're all toys. And yet right. everybody cares about them. Everybody sheds a tear when they're about to go and die in like the third one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like, I think it I demonstrates mean, the only human is like a little monster girl. So, oh, good. right. Yeah, yeah good absolutely. And, and to me, it's a very outdated way of adapting a property uh, mm-hmm. versus something where I hopefully like that Mario, the new one um, from illumination, it won't have to go and deal with that kind of stuff. It'll just be, it's all in this world. I mean, even uh, comic books, for example, we had, yeah. we've had a, there were some initially like way back when, um, and we also had like stuff like, masters of the universe if you remember yeah. like the he-man mm-hmm. 80s adaptation where it's like they came to our world type things and now marvel and i think that, that was partially a result of this is too weird like people won't accept this so we need to ground it in some sort of reality mm-hmm. and i mean now you have these marvel cinematic universe stuff where they're like off the walls crazy like they'd embrace the insanity of this stuff uh and mm-hmm. they're not like very apologetic about it in a way that like producers that felt like did before. So, well, and even if you, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but like yeah. star Wars, I don't know. I don't think earth exists in the, right. Star Wars universe. the galaxy <laughs> far, far away. And like guardians yeah. of the galaxy does the same thing. Like it's on earth at the beginning of the first one and the beginning of the second one. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, that's it. Yeah. I'll just, I'll jump off my soapbox, but I think that the structure worked fine for the movie. It is, but I would like to see something more ambitious done with these kind of adaptations. Yeah, I I agree with you both. Um, it it feels lazy and it feels like there's an inherent. I think like both of you have said distrust of the audience, where it's like they're not going to understand unless we have some form of like human and or Earth on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, Mike, this was because when you were talking about what you were thinking about Jim Carrey, like I didn't not see where you were coming from, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because like, I also didn't think it was a good movie. Like if I look at just his performance in a bubble or a vacuum, I thought he did a really good job. It looked like he was having fun. If I look at it within the realm of the whole movie, I feel kind of bad for him. Cause I'm like, Oh, Jim Carrey. I'm like, why? It's like the Lemony Snicket movie. I'm like, why are you stuck in this like mm. kind of mediocre kids movie when you're actually delivering a pretty good you know, performance? Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's where you're coming from, but I could kind of see where you were coming kind from because, yeah, because I, I kind of felt bad because his talents that I thought were pretty good were kind of wasted in a mediocre film because we're going back to that whole fish out of water thing because that's apparently all we know for children's movies or anything that's different. Like, we can't understand it unless it's from, like, a human lens or whatever. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree with you both. I'm going to say that, like, it's easy to do that when you have a world that is already kind of relatable that in a video game context, you see yourself existing in that zone. And I think that's what detective Pikachu nailed. Mm. It's that we're presenting a world to you where this stuff is already intermingled. But one of the hardest things in Sonic is that the world outside of, you know, what we relate to in earth realm or whatever is actually kind of ludicrous. Right. The Sonic baseline story, you know, basically is, Eggman or Robotnik, depending on where it was released for you, captures animals and wants to turn them into robots. And Sonic says, nah, that ain't happening. <laughs> you know, that that's it. There, there isn't really anything that you can ground yourself in without just being a fully animated picture. And there really aren't that many stories within that universe that I personally really want to see that the <laughs> cartoons haven't already kind of taken care of because it, it is nuts. Yeah. And the, the director kind of pointed this out earlier on because the original script called for Sonic to do something that he now has to do in every game, which is go supersonic. Mm. And for those of you unfamiliar, once Sonic in particular iterations gains all these chaos emeralds, he goes full on Dragon Ball Z Super Saiyan and flies around and blows everything up. Mm. And he can kind of tell at the end of this movie where that was actually supposed to happen. Yeah. 
but I think they were kind of doing a nod to guys. Sonic is kind of out of control in terms of its overall story because it would have been so ludicrous to put that in of just, you know, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden Sonic with the power of friendship and love without explaining chaos emeralds and everything like that turns yellow and blows everything up and and is awesome. It's like, (laughs) just leave it alone. You know, just, we're just telling the Sonic story right now with the tails cameo and the Robotnik (laughs) origin. There's only so much we can add before this just kind of becomes too ridiculous. And Sonic is doing anime poses and, kissing final fantasy characters like <laughs> coming back to life i mean i i think that is a a good defense of the story structure they did which is they didn't mm-hmm. buy off too much more than they could chew with a single movie yeah um, I, oh go ahead oh sorry I, I was just gonna say so many movies uh, especially beginnings of franchises they just love to go and set up all this lore and plot and stuff like that with the anticipation that oh man we're gonna get six movies to tell all this and they only don't survive past the first one so the fact that they try to tell a simple story in 90 minutes, I think was commendable. And, and I, I want to agree with you on that point. Yeah. I, so I, I did want to touch on that. I'm glad you brought that up Sebastian, because those were two of my favorite parts of the movie was seeing tales at the end. And like, I know some people mm-hmm. really don't like tales, but I, I don't love tales, but I've never had a problem with him either. Um, but I got super hype for some reason at the end of that movie <laughs> to see tails come into the world and be like, Oh, now tails is here. Like he's going to look for Sonic. And you know, that's a cool jumping off point for a sequel. And then the Robotnik thing of him being stuck in Sonic's world of, mm-hmm. Oh, now he's going to go get the chaos emeralds. Like the, you know, if you know the, the Sonic kind of backstory like that, there's really cool implications to those two events happening. And if you don't, it's still kind of intriguing to be like, you know, you probably know who Tails is. So to see Tails show up, you're like, oh, I'm excited to see Tails in the next movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it was really smart to keep this focused on just like Sonic and his new buddy Cyclops and, uh, (laughs) and, you know, the Robotnik origin and leave the rest on the table for a sequel because it's going to generate like, the people who liked it are going to want to see that. And I remember sure. seeing stuff with Ben Schwartz where he basically was like, look, man, like they have not, this is not a movie where they have guaranteed a sequel sequels in a contract. Like it is based purely on you guys seeing this movie. Mm-hmm. Please mm-hmm. go see it. And like, I know quarantine kind of hamstrung it at the box office, but um, you know, they are moving forward with the sequel. And so it was really cool kind of seeing Ben Schwartz in the in the press stuff that I saw, like he really seemed like he cared about the material and was really championing it to be like, this can be like a franchise. This is a franchise I care about being in. This is a franchise that I think people will like. And this is a franchise I would like to see fleshed out into a continued story. And so that really that maybe endeared me to the movie going into it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But then seeing kind of how they portrayed it, I was like, oh, I totally understand why. Ben Schwartz was like that. Like he saw, I think what a lot of people saw in it, which was the heart and the, you know, I think that for as kind of generic as the fish out of water story works, like we've all admitted there's like some moments of heart where that really works. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I can see why the performers would care about coming back. So, um, you know, it doesn't, it, to me, it doesn't feel like they're just in this to adapt Sonic and make money off of people who love Sonic um sure and they also went out of their way to not do all the sonic memes like yeah he eats a chili dog in one scene but it's not like there's not like a record scratch moment you know right it's not not in your face about it yeah yeah or even like the sanic drawing i thought was a really clever way yeah to do it yeah like the the leprechaun or like um Mm -hmm. drawing do you guys know what i'm talking about yeah 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 uh, they like they like got two memes with one and it was extremely subtle and it's just like a little joke mm-hmm. if you right. if you don't know the sanic meme so well and actually this might be a good way to bring this to a landing in some ways uh so you you mentioned mj about how it doesn't feel like it was just purely about making money and one of the reasons why i think that we can tell it it wasn't just about making money or at least maybe it was in a different way, uh, was that they went and spent six more months basically redoing all the CG after people yeah. didn't like how it looked. Yeah. And this is the same company that, you know, remade uh, the Ninja Turtles, the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when they redid, when they did the Ninja Turtles reboot, they had these horrifying designs, <laughs> like just fucking terrifying. Um, they, they're just like ugly Shrek-looking things. Yeah, I had seen a comment how uh, Paramount didn't anticipate that people would hate the Sonic redesigns because they didn't see enough backlash to the Ninja Turtle designs. And mm-hmm. uh, so something about this was much more vociferous loud or something like that and mm-hmm. it forced them to go back to the drawing board and, and jeff fowler the director of this um basically said like you guys are right more or less um before the uh, the movie came out and so uh to kind of talk about this mj you've hinted at this before is there a problem where fans have too much control over things i mean i would say this resulted in the movie being better better received certainly um by having the character design of sonic that looked truer to the original uh but can this go too far who should who should have the final say on uh what this property should look like um i think i'm of two minds of it now having seen Mm -hmm. the final product and being almost a year removed from the controversies i don't love art by committee in general although that's all movies um but i i don't know i think there's that it can go kind of a couple ways like I feel like Rise of Skywalker is the fans dictating where the franchise goes. And it's terrible. Like, and we Mm -hmm. talked about that on our Rise of Skywalker. Like, no matter where we landed on The Last Jedi, they should have played the hand they were dealt. Yeah. Mm. And they didn't even try because Mm -hmm. of how big the backlash was. And I understand that that's a way bigger, you know, franchise and a way bigger moneymaker than Sonic ever will be as a film franchise. But at the same time, I do think there's something to be said for sticking to their guns. However, it seems like based on what I've seen and read, a lot of the people in the animation house also really weren't pleased with the design. They were kind of under a crunch time deadline to get this design out. So they did what they could. And so it seemed like there was a lot of relief on the side of the animators to go back and do the design correctly. Mm. And so... I kind of think, and you know, the counterpoint to my argument is not to be arguing with myself uh, on the show is that, you know, JJ probably didn't like the last Jedi and wanted to, you know, that's how he wanted to get around it. Mm -hmm. But like, they didn't even kind of try with that. You know, like they tried with Sonic and then everyone was like, no. And they're like, yeah, it's kind of what we thought, (laughs) Um, you know? And so, uh, also, you know, also that that was the end of a franchise. This is the beginning of a franchise, at least filmically. Right. So, you know, I don't love the idea of letting just fan outrage, you know, go and dictate every single little thing. And I'm I do agree that this made it better, but I'm almost wondering that, you know, if we start to see this more, it would maybe be the exception and not the rule. Mm-hmm. Um also, I don't want. I, I'm glad that Cats stuck to its crazy guy. <laughs> like yeah. I'm, I'm very glad that they didn't. That they were like, nope, screw you. This is what you're getting. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sebastian, I know one of the reasons why we talked about having you on this podcast when, uh, this movie was basically first revealed in the trailer was the potential for this to be basically just crappy the kind of movie that we all expected um (laughs) just to be garbage and and what we got out of cats essentially um Mm -hmm. was what we were expecting out of this Uh, were you are you happy that that we got this movie or you think that that it was a good thing that fans intervened or did you kind of just want the steaming pile of crap that we kind of all expected instead is is something kind of perverse about that like that we want (laughs) more than we wanted something good yeah, the ego and ratatouille, you know, bad criticism is fun to write. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, there was, I think that there's some nuance to this. And the nuance is that I agree that we shouldn't have art by committee, but at the same time, if something's bad, fix it. Mm. And they didn't necessarily fix their problem by just going with what people were telling them to do. Mm-hmm. A big part of them fixing their problem involved them actually bringing a fan on. So, they brought on an animator, uh, Tyson Hess, who worked on the Sonic comics, mm-hmm. and he actually directed the trailers and the cutscenes that you see in Sonic Mania, which, yeah. for those unfamiliar to it, that was like Sonic's return to his Sonic 1, 2, 3 Genesis form yeah. in terms of style and gameplay. 
that was briefly captured in Generations. And he himself is this massive fan. And I think it kind of lended itself to, okay, you know, let's let a fan actually make this and, and go whole hog. And I think Star Wars is an interesting comparison because so many are fans, but they also have differing opinions on what it looks like. But I think there was consensus in terms of what Sonic should look like if you're a fan of Sonic. And I didn't know any Sonic fans that were standing behind the original design. Everyone was just kind of freaked out. So to that end, I think they made the right call. I think they kind of went more with the heart of what this was supposed to be, a fun-loving Roger Rabbit cartoony kind of a character and the direction that they decided to take it. I think it was a bold one. It, it takes guts to spend $5 million to fix it. Mm-hmm. And I like that they did it. And Missy, where do you come down on this? Um, I mean, I, I feel like some of the things I'm going to say are probably going to repeat um, from you guys. Because, uh, again, I, I also feel like I'm of two minds. Um, I, I like what you said, Sebastian, that if something's bad, you need to fix it. And I feel like that's where things like focus groups, I think, are really um, good tools to use because that's a little more private. It's a little more controlled. This, mm-hmm. I, I, because so many other things in our culture right now are dictated by the court of public opinion, whether it's cancel culture or, um, you know, the public has managed to get a hold of something and now we will dictate who is guilty and who is innocent. And uh, without trying to get too political with it, I feel like right now, and especially with social media, because we're all quarantined and all we have are pretty much voices on social media, the self-importance of people of the public's uh, voice and opinions is higher than ever. I feel like we all think we have a lot more control than we do and that everything that we think and say is valuable and beautiful. And, and if we think it and say it, then, you know, kind of, you know, fuck everybody else or whatever. And so I, I hate that. I hate that it happened to be right because Sonic was a monster in the original trailer. That was horrifying. (laughs) Um, and, And I feel like that's something that could have been fixed with a focus group of fans who could have very easily said, no, 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 this, this looks like a monster. Let's make him look like Sonic. Um, and take out, take out gangsta's paradise. Uh, but the fact that, uh, that the court of public opinion happened to be right in this sense, I feel like it's like, yeah, let's chalk another one up to us guys. Cause we're like always right. And it's like, no, like, you know what I mean? It, it's, I, I'm glad they changed it. I hate that it happened to have come in the way that it did, because I think that public opinion, is way too inflated right now and and too self-important and already thinks a lot more of itself than it should. So Mm -hmm. I I don't like that it got a little bit of traction with this. Yeah, I think that it all comes down to intent too. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the main difference between between like Rise of Skywalker and this is that you can tell that they heard the fan criticism, but they didn't go, hey, we heard you. We're going to, you know, try to improve upon it. Like you could tell they, it was a desperation move of like, yeah. uh, do, you, do you do you guys like this? <laughs> and uh, with Sonic, it felt more like, yeah, we all agree with you. Sure. And so we're going to do it right. Um, and so I think that's that's what it comes down to is as long, you know, yes, I agree with everything you said about the public opinion being inflated thing, but also as long as the artist is okay being like, yeah, I am siding with this, not out of fear, but out of the fact that they are in fact correct this time. Yeah. Um, I think that goes a long way. That's that. fair. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, I think that the difference is that you have a creator who wants to be collaborative with the fans, like mm-hmm. Jeff Fowler was with this yeah. movie versus JJ Abrams, where I think he thinks he's a fan of Star Wars, but I think <laughs> all he really likes are the first two movies. Yeah. <laughs> maybe even the first one. And, and he, it wasn't a collaborative process. It was just him remaking things and, and being like, this is what I think fans would like, but he doesn't really have anybody to cite or mm-hmm. turn to. So yeah. I think there's, there's different ways you can approach it. Yeah, uh, that's true. And I think we see the same thing with, you know, like, even though his adaptations are generally more well received and like, you can't see him necessarily aping other filmmakers as directly as you can JJ Abrams. But I think it's him and him and uh, Christopher Nolan shared the same kind of rarefied air of they've had these massive hits. And so every, no one's going to tell them no. Yeah. And you see that and it's making them worse. The more they're allowed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that uh, MJ, you've got a, a hard out um, when it comes to this podcast. Um, yes. Want to wrap this thing up? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, do you guys have anything else to say about Sonic the Hedgehog? 
No, this was way more fruitful than I thought it was going to be, given how <laughs> kind of mediocre I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a fun time, man. Yeah. Uh, Sebastian, thank you for being here once again. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I have spent this entire podcast with a kitty cat curled up in my arms sleeping, and it's been the cutest podcast I've ever recorded. <laughs> so. Um yeah, uh, thanks guys for listening. I don't know what our next episode is. We can talk about that when we stop recording. Um, you guys should be getting stuff more regularly. I feel like I want to do this more now. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll figure it out and we'll try to get you something sooner rather than later. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, until next time, uh, chili dogs are the bad guys. <laughs>